0: Hello everyone. My name's Debbie Evans. Um, I'm the nursing correspondent for UK Column and today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by the one and only Matt Latissier. And he likes to be he likes to be addressed as a former Premier League footballer but actually, you know, we can say Matt is far far greater than that. An uh, incredible goal scorer, loyal to Southampton all of his career, despite being offered uh, many deals to go to other clubs and played for England, and has been speaking up about everything that uh, we've been speaking up about at the Column. And so we're delighted to welcome you, Matt. Thank you so much for agreeing to speak to us. How are you, and how are you dealing with the madness that we all seem to be living in at the moment? (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I'm very well thank you very much and um yeah it has been madness um but it's been a it's it's been an interesting madness um to to watch and see just how the world has changed how people have changed um it, it's been mm-hmm. fascinating uh to sit and watch it um I've managed to uh, keep sane um managed to try to uh have still As normal a life as I possibly can, and try to keep the you know the people around me that I I love the most, uh, try and keep them happy. Um, But yeah, it's been it's been a balancing act because uh, at the same time there's been stuff going on in the world that that is not very nice and needs calling out, uh, and it needs the masses to understand what is going on uh, and that uh, your government isn't your friend. Um, And that's the the one thing that I've um, you know pretty much come to a, a conclusion over the past two and a half years um, I'm probably a bit late to the party as far as a lot of people are concerned um, but I didn't just realize just how much of an enemy your government are to you as as the people of your country
0: yeah and you know when, when we look at this I'm a nurse um, you're a footballer um, we're not. We don't. Uh, neither of us profess to be scientists, and yet, right at the beginning, we were told two weeks to flatten the curve, um, and we've managed to join the dots um, to see what is actually going on. And I know that you've taken an awful. I mean, you've taken a real beating. You know, you've been dropped by Sky uh, completely, lost your job over this. Um, I know that you've had huge grief on Twitter as well. And I think the, the Daily Mail ran a very unfair article because you were speaking out because you were seeing people around you um, very sick and, and athletes dropping on pitches. I mean, have you ever seen anything like this before, Matt? And when you were speaking out, how much abuse have you actually had? Um,
1: well, the honest answer to that is I'm, I'm, I couldn't quantify how much abuse because um, most of the time I don't bother reading the replies Um, because if you don't read the replies then people can't get to you Um, you know you can't let them upset you Uh, I've spent a a lot of my life receiving uh, plenty of abuse on football pitches and you know growing up in school with you know uh, other teenagers who um, you know what it's like as as teenage kids you know everybody gives each other stick they find a little bit of something about you that's a little bit different to everyone else and they take the mickey out of you for that and you've got to learn to deal with it You know, it's all part of growing up and um, part of building your own resilience um, to that kind of stuff and and to be able to to move forward in your life and, and, you know, learn from whatever it is that you've been through. Uh, Take the lessons from that. And the lessons that I took from that is that, um, you know, people, uh, the the biggest lesson I think I I took was that um, words can't hurt me. I grew up in an era of sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Um, and so I've always been able to cope with being called names, uh, being taken abuse from the football terraces, um, uh, and then taken abuse from the mainstream media because I just happen to disagree with the narrative that they were going with for the last couple of years. Um, so uh, to be honest with you, um, the the abuse that has, has come my way has been like water of a duck's back. Uh, it doesn't bother me one bit because I... I'm comfortable in my own skin. Uh I've I know what I've seen. Um and in terms of uh players collapsing on football pitches, I know that in seventeen years as a footballer I didn't experience seeing one person that I played with or played against or trained with for 17 years, five days a week. I never saw one person collapse on a football pitch with heart problems. Uh, and I, I watch a lot of sport and I um have been just flabbergasted by the amount of people that I've seen collapsing on the pitch. Uh, that's without going into you know the games that are being stopped because people are having issues in the crowd as well. Um, but my first issue was seeing so many sporting people, young, fit, healthy sporting people, all of a sudden collapsing on their field of play. And the thing that shocked me the most is that none of the governing authorities seem to care about it, not one bit, not remotely bothered, that all of a sudden we have a spate of uh, young, fit, healthy people collapsing on their fields of play. Uh, And that shocked me to my core. Um, The lack of humanity from these people, uh, the lack of empathy for the people that have have suffered uh, has been quite incredible. And that's why I've been calling for an investigation into these issues. Um, and trying to highlight the fact that this isn't normal, it's not normal, and I don't care how many um paid pharmaceutical journalists uh want to go in the newspapers and tell you every single other reason why more heart attacks are happening in this day and age. Um, and I've seen some ludicrous ones uh over the past couple of uh couple of years, and it's just been absolutely crazy, um, you know. I, I've always said, you know, there has to be some kind of investigation because we don't know, or we didn't know, whether, you know, this was people who have maybe suffering the long term um uh harms of actually having COVID, or are these uh, vaccine related damages? Now the, the vaccines uh, and the adverse effects have been uh, well logged um on the on the VARES system, the yellow card reporting system. And They've just been ignored, basically. Um, it's horrific. The numbers are, are stacking up uh, to levels that we've never seen before. And yet everybody in the mainstream media and in governing bodies of these sports are just turning a blind eye to it. And I find it, I find it incredibly sad, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I'm, and, and I think it's extremely scary. And I, I don't know if you've, I'm sure you have seen the, there was an advert put out by the British Heart Foundation with um Sorry. somebody collapsing yeah someone just collapsing a young person collapsing um and that was a very dark uh, advertisement and you know I just I checked the news before we spoke today and only four days ago a 28 year old um young man Jamie Wynn collapsed footballer collapsed and died so this is still ongoing and why do you think um, the organisations, because I know that you've been very active, Matt, in talking to football organisations. And I know that you're probably not able to discuss what went on behind closed doors. But mm. um, and, and I know probably the reason that you're doing this is is so that you're out there telling people. But what kind of reaction have you been getting from the football organisations? Um.
1: <laughs> the reaction is one that i probably expected uh one of uh, one of defensiveness um i think um on you know several of the uh, several of the organizations um but i i wouldn't have expected anything else but i just wanted to be a voice and to make sure that these people who are supposed to be looking after their players you know, the Professional Footballers Association, uh, FIFPRO, um, all those kind of guys who are the players' representatives. Uh, I needed them to know what is going on. I needed them to uh, understand that this isn't normal um, as much as they would try and tell me that it was normal and that we just didn't hear about it in the past. It's not normal from my experiences. Um, and so uh, I I needed them to hear what's been said, so that if and when uh, the dam does burst, they can never say, "Oh, I didn't know. I, I, we didn't, we didn't realize." Um, and, and that's kind of all I've been able to do, really. It's, it's frustrating because uh, you'd hope that you would be able to put enough pressure on people to, to warrant an investigation into what's gone on, so we can find the answers. Um, but they just don't seem that interested that bothered in you know the the welfare of the players that they purport to represent
0: Matt that leads us on to another interesting question of in in the league where players aren't going abroad to play um unlike the england squad for example um would you have you heard through the grapevine that individual clubs have been insisting that all players are vaccinated are 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 these players being Coerced because I mean they're signed to big deals, aren't they? So if they don't do what their club says, does that null and void their contract? How does this work?
1: Um, so from what I've heard, uh, having spoken to a, a couple of uh, a couple of players still in the game, still playing, um, there was a lot of coercion that went on. Um, a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot of pressure was put on the players uh, to take these. Um, uh experimental vaccines uh and from from what i'm hearing um i think there was probably around a 50 to 60% uptake uh, amongst those players uh, and it was interesting because there was um back in july and august a lot of premier league football teams were uh going abroad to to on preseason trips to to play friendlies obviously lucrative trips um but you would have noticed if you were if you were a keen football fan, you might have noticed that um, there were quite a few players, uh, regular first team starters, quite a few big names, who didn't travel with their teams to those destinations to play their preseason friendlies, because obviously some of the countries they went to were only allowing in people who were vaccinated. So a lot of the clubs actually went on these trips without some of their some of their biggest players.
0: Wow. I mean, what happens, because we know that already players have died, you know, big top names have died and become very seriously injured. Um, what happens if somebody's signed to, I mean, we're talking million dollar contracts here. Who takes liability for that player if they're no longer able to to, to, to play anymore? I mean, what, what happens then? Do the football Clubs, if if they've told the player to take the injection, the player's taken the injection, and all of a sudden their million dollar contract has has collapsed because their player can't play. What happens then?
1: Um, I would imagine the insurance companies would take the uh, take the hit with that. Um, it would be it would be really interesting, actually, because you know one of the one of the highest profile players that had to uh, had to retire because of uh, heart problems was Sergio Aguero um who was actually quite active in promoting the vaccines on his social media um and i'm sure that somewhere down the line he would have had to have been compensated uh, for that through an insurance policy um and so i guess the, the insurance would cover all that kind of all that kind of loss uh, loss so if the the, the football clubs aren't going to really take responsibility for that um you know we know that the pharmaceutical companies uh, can't be sued Because of the agreements that they've got with governments all around the world which is uh, an absolute disgrace uh, in my opinion for something that's turned out to be causing so much harm um, more harm than any other vaccine has done uh, in history Uh, and I don't think there's anything that uh, that can dispute those facts when you see what's going on around the world Um, and so yeah it's been it's been pretty scandalous really
0: yeah and we know we've and the uk column um, we've been driving a campaign to get some answers from the mhra um, and clearly they've been obfuscating and not just not just ordinary people that are asking for information but parliamentarians ministers experts um, everyone has been denied information and for me if you can't, it, it, science is a debate, it's a two-way debate. So if you can't debate it and they're refusing to debate it, then to me it's propaganda. And I know that Absolutely. you've been very, vo- well, you were very vocal on Sky and you you lost your job. Tell us about what happened with Sky, Matt, and, and, and what kind of led to you being dropped. Um,
1: Well, obviously they, they wouldn't say directly uh, that I was, um, that I was, being let go because of my of my views um but uh i'd had um a couple of phone calls from the from the head of football uh just concerning a couple of the things that i'd shared on social media and one of those was uh, I, I can't remember what the first one was but i, I definitely remember the second one was i'd um i tweeted uh, about when the football season in march uh, was was stopped in march 2020 when they were trying to get it going again and they were testing all of the the players and staff at football clubs and every week there'd be a uh, you know a statement from the premier League saying uh, this many players have tested positive out of this many tests and that would be it the premier League would would say no more on the subject and um, the only way that you would find out if um, which clubs those Tested, positive tests had come from is if the club themselves decided to hold their hand up and say yes that was us um and and a few clubs did a few of the clubs when those figures came out the following day they'd go yeah well six of those positive tests yesterday they were from us and the it was interesting because i, I looked at the clubs that were holding their hands up and saying yes that's that's us that's us um, they were all in or just above the relegation zone uh, and they obviously had a, a huge vested interest in the season not starting again and the season being voided so that they didn't get relegated uh, and that they uh they then got all the Premier League money for for the following season. It was huge amounts of money we're talking. We were talking about hundred million pounds. Um so they were they would have been very keen to have not started the season again. So they were the ones that were saying, Yes, that's that's us. Um and so I a tweet which basically just said isn't it interesting that the only clubs that are admitting to having positive COVID tests are the ones in the relegation zone or just above it and it was as simple as that it was a a purely factual tweet Uh, and I got a phone call from the head of football at Sky uh, saying um, uh, we've had a complaint about you Um, one uh, one of the chief executives at one of the clubs in the Premier League have complained to us uh, about your tweet, which uh, is intimating that you know that they want the season cancelled, so I just I I was on the other end of the phone and I and I just said to I said to the head of football I said, um, "Can you tell me what's factually wrong about what I wrote?" And he kind of stuttered a little bit, and he said, "Well, no, that's not the point." I went, "I went, hang on, that is the point." I said, "If you tell me what's factually wrong with what I've written." then I might apologize. And, uh, and he said, well, there's nothing factually wrong with it. And I went, there you go. And, and I don't think they were too pleased that I, was, uh, <laughs> that I wasn't just going to go, oh, I do apologize. I will delete the tweet even though it's factually correct. Um, I, I'm not that kind of bloke. Uh, if, you've got, if you've got a good reason uh, and you give me a, a good argument as to why um, I should apologise uh, and do something. and You come up and with a with a reasonable argument, then I'll be quite happy to hold my hand up and go. Actually, do you know what? Now you've put it like that, you're right. Uh, I was wrong. I I, I will apologise and I will delete the tweet, which I have done on a couple of occasions. Um, but when the tweet is factually correct, I'm not going to just back down and just go. Oh, I'm just going to do that for a quiet life, because um, what I said was right, uh, and uh, and I wouldn't be swayed. So that was one of the. The phone calls that I got, uh, and then a week before the following season started, uh, I got a I got a Zoom call, um, and uh, and basically was just told straight away uh, that there was no work for me anymore and that they'd be letting me go, um, uh, and and that was that. And so I asked the question: Did it have anything to? Does this decision have anything to do? They said they were going to take the show in a different direction. That was the words that they used. And I said, you know, does this um, have anything to do with what I was posting on social media? And the response was, um, well, we do have to take into account the reputation of our company. Uh, and so I just said, well, that's strange. I said, you didn't seem that bothered about the reputation of your company when you re-employed Jamie Carragher. We'd spat out of his car at a young girl in the in the car next to him. Um, at which point they very hastily changed the subject. Uh, we can't talk about other players and uh, and ended the the call pretty quickly. And that's how my fifteen years of service uh, to Sky Sports ended.
0: Wow, I mean, there's just so much to unpack there. I don't even know where to start because talk about double standards. I mean, that's i mean i I didn't know that. I mean that's unbelievable, and you know Sky and the BBC, all of them um they're not open to any kind of questioning of our experts, even you know I, I remember watching the press briefings and and they were almost that the mainstream media were almost encouraging people to lock down even more. you know they they were promoting it almost I don't know if you Absolutely. you noticed that. Tell us about how the media, you feel they were manipulating things.
1: Uh, I think the media have been incredibly complicit in what's gone on uh, these last couple of years. They've, they've not allowed any debate. Um, Ofcom, uh, you know, really clamped down on anybody who went against the narrative. Um, and quite frankly, uh, it just became a a a series of, of propaganda you know i was l- sat listening to these um press conferences uh you know where boris is taking questions you know from our leading journalists you know all the hypocrites that broke all the rules by the way they were all in there uh, asking their um uh, questions that had obviously been um allowed to be questioned um and it was incredible. I sat listening and, and not one journalist was, was questioning whether or not we should be locked down. But they were all asking to be locked down even harder than what we were and earlier than what we did. And and there was no balance to any of those press conferences. There was no real questions that were going to put people on the spot um, and come up with some kind of decent answer that... Um, that the public would would swallow and uh i just i just found myself becoming increasingly frustrated so i uh i made the decision in um i think it was probably about the end of may 2020 um that i i didn't even bother tuning into to any of that stuff anymore um and have have gone elsewhere to to find uh people who are willing to Uh, be a lot more balanced in their reporting of the news in this day and age.
0: Yes, and I I want to to say, give give you this opportunity to to tell people where they can find you, because you're interviewing all sorts of people that are speaking up with facts and evidence and truth. Um, And I mean, some of your interviews have been absolutely remarkable and astonishing. And I think everybody should go to your channel. So how do people find you, Matt?
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm on uh, Getter, which is uh, Um It's a new social media app. It's only a, just over a year old, but um, they've had more signups in the first year than what Twitter did in their first year. Uh, and they're um, allowing uh, debate to be had and allowing subjects to be talked about on that platform that you just can't talk about uh, on the other um, platforms that are uh, absolutely disgusting in the way that they're they're treating people um you know so twitter and facebook and instagram and all those uh people um they're just you just can't have a reasonable conversation um so you don't ever get to hear both sides of the story uh, and on getter um they allow you to do that so i'm interviewing on my live stream, um, we try and do it every Monday night at 8 o'clock. Sometimes it has to change because of work commitments, but uh, I try to keep it Mondays at 8 o'clock. Uh, and I've had some fascinating guests on. Um, you know, just uh, last night, John O'Lean, O'Looney, the um, funeral director from from Milton Keynes, who's been very vocal in speaking out, um, had some incredible things to say last night. Uh, so I'd urge you, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the interview, um, you know, along to to get her open yourself a get her account and and you can tune into all the interviews that i've done over the last few months you know people like dr tess Laurie, who has been an incredible human being uh, with what she's done um dr mike eden uh, who has been very outspoken against the pharmaceutical industry that he used to work in for many years um and, and just a lot of fascinating people you know imagine Noir's uh, an intrepid reporter a man who um will report on stuff that you know, most journalists don't want to touch, don't want to talk about. Um, but it does, it's you know, it's not it's not all COVID related. So I, I've also interviewed um, footballers, golfers. Uh, Pat Cash, the legendary Pat Cash, came on uh, and had a chat with him. Uh, and there's been some some really thought provoking uh, interviews, and and I've enjoyed doing them, um, and um, and I've learned a lot from doing it.
0: And that actually brings us very nicely onto tennis, because, of course, you know, you're a a sportsman. So you're, I'm presuming you're into pretty much all sports. And, you know, speaking to Pat Cash and seeing what what's been going on with Djokovic, for example, and how Australia made a complete example of him. um, What are your feelings with regards to players that? Aren't speaking out both football and tennis. Why aren't more people speaking out? Why is it only Pat Cash and Djokovic? Where are the others, Matt? Can you explain any of this?
1: Um, uh, can I explain it? Uh I, I think there's a there's a whole myriad of reasons why people wouldn't speak out. Um, I think firstly, a lot of people still do believe everything that they hear on the BBC uh, and on Sky News and ITV News, or that they actually believe that um, everything they're being told there is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. When um, a, lot of, a lot of us have realized that that isn't the case. Um, I think a lot of them are fearful, uh, fearful of their careers, fearful of, you know, the money that might stop coming in if they choose to speak out against the narrative. Um, Uh, And and I think that's also that's a big reason uh, why some people and some people just won't aren't bothered. Some people are just happy living in their own little bubble um, and uh, they they just feel like they just want to stay in their little bubble, not not have any controversy surrounding them. And which is which is all well and good. But at some point uh, they will come for those people as well.
0: Yeah I think you're absolutely right and and you know as you've just previously alluded to you are an all-rounder so you're looking at not just the covid and the pandemic and the injection agenda but you're also you're interested in talking about the whole climate change agenda and digital id and bank centralization um and and that that we we're, we're looking straight down the barrel aren't we at all of these things coming in what are your thoughts on The World Economic Forum and and Klaus Schwab et al., Matt? (laughs)
1: Um, I I think the the simplest way uh, to put it is I I think the world would be a far better place if the World Economic Forum didn't exist, uh, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we're under attack. Uh, Our freedoms and our liberties are are under attack from these people, Um, these bunch of unelected, very rich. very strange people uh, who just want to have overall control over everything that you do in your life. Um, hence, why you know they'll push for a cashless society so they can track every transaction that you make. Um, and it's it's quite a scary place to go. You know, people were talking a couple of years ago about you know uh, microchips being placed under your skin and all that kind of stuff. And everyone goes, "Oh, conspiracy theorists, that'll never happen." and guess what started happening um you know digital ids oh that that you conspiracy theories that won that will never happen i'll tell you what they try their best and they're going to keep trying and they're they're going to keep pressing on and we have to keep saying no and we have to keep standing up and saying that nah, that is not a world that we want to live in we do not want to put ourselves even so here's the here's the the point that i that i would like to make to people even if it has its benefits Why would you want to put in place a system that has the ability to turn your life off at any given moment by the flick of a switch? So even if you think that, oh, they won't do that, you know, people aren't that evil. Uh, Why would you even give that the slightest opportunity for that to happen? Because at some point, somebody in charge will be evil enough to go. Yeah, I don't like what, what you just said on Getter or on Twitter. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to flick that switch and you no longer have no access to any money and uh, your card, your bank cards will not work because you said something wrong about the government. Um, so why would you ever want a system in place that is capable of doing that? I can't answer that. I, it just... It just baffles me why people would be willing to accept that kind of nonsense and that kind of government overreach uh, in their lives, because I don't want to live in a world where uh, I'm tracked you know every transaction I make is tracked um, I mean I'm pretty sure we're all we're all tracked uh twenty four seven at the moment anyway because of the the devices that we carry around with us um, and it's it's a scary world. It's a scary world and there's some some very nasty, uh, very rich people uh, who think that they are above everybody else on this planet because they're so rich uh, and that they feel the need to control and manipulate everything about our lives. Um, And I, for one, am not prepared to tolerate that.
0: No, and neither, neither are we at UK Column and we're doing all that we possibly can like you to get the message out because you know conspiracy theories are only a a conspiracy theory is only conspiracy is only a theory when it's not real and these things are real I've had so many tin hats on um, and everybody said oh no this won't happen oh no that won't happen and then all of a sudden we see ourselves right in the thick of it and it seems that critical thinking and uh, logic has gone completely oh. out of the window, hasn't it? I mean, where did it go, it, Matt? And how, how did we remain sane? How are we still seeing this?
1: <laughs> it's a good question, uh, actually, uh, because I think uh, a lot of people have lost um, the ability to think critically because uh, I, would, I, I would blame it on the education system, uh, on the way that we're brought up um, to... You know, we're almost indoctrinated to be able to, you know, do as you're told. You know, don't question anything. You just do as you're told. Well, if the teacher says it's that, well, then that that that's that, and they must be right because they're the teacher. Um, and you know, we've seen. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, a lot of parents who have said to the kids, you know, you you make sure you do as that Catholic priest told you to do, because you know he's a priest and and he's all right. Well. I think we all know what went on with those Catholic priests and, and, uh, and the abuse that uh, lots of children suffered at their hands. So uh, I think we were brought up to uh, almost bow down to people in authority. Um, and thankfully, I, I had a, a rebellious streak in me, uh, and I've always questioned people in authority if I didn't feel. That something was right that they were telling me you know and i and it wasn't because i was awkward it was because something didn't feel right in my gut something told me that is not quite right here and i'm i'm not going to do that because i can feel that something's not right and i need i i need more evidence before i before i decide to dive into what you're telling me and before i decide to give you my 100 percent trust um because I think there's a lot of people that have been in, power, uh, in positions of power uh, who have abused trust of people, uh, and I think you shouldn't really just give 100% of your trust to somebody unless they've earned it first.
0: Yeah, very, very wise words, and I concur with that completely. And, it, it, you know, we always say at UK Column, that whatever information we give out, we're, we're signposting people. To, to To where to go to look for the evidence, because we encourage people to ask questions to literally question everything that they're being told at the moment, um, yeah. and what you said just a minute ago with regards to you know you don't want to be tracked, I think that is so important because clearly safety you know the, we know the MHRA safety doesn't seem to equate in in their practice at all s seems to stand for surveillance, and it, it looks as though we are being Tracked everywhere we go, including now the NHS, and um, you know we're going to have electronic bracelets put on us, and as you said, microchips. So all of these conspiracy theories that we were once (laughs) accused of, you know, where does this end? You know, how how can we wake more people up?
1: Uh, I think it's really it's really hard uh, to try and pitch to people. at the right level to to make them question what's going on um and i found i found them almost being quite flippant about it in the middle of conversations um uh where you just kind of drop something in and then you know, don't elaborate on it just let them mull it over um and perhaps they'll they'll just go away and think hang on what what did he say in the middle of that conversation what was he i wonder what he was talking about there and then I think the only way people will question it is if you get them to think for themselves. You can't give people you can't give people facts. That's what I've uh, I've found out. Uh, it's very difficult for them to to change their their way of thinking unless they're prepared to go and look at the evidence for themselves rather than just be told by somebody else what that evidence is. So I can you know you mentioned the MHRA there. Now, um I can tell you that those people have uh, accepted millions of pounds in funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, now that's the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, obviously that also invested a lot of money in vaccines uh, who were expecting a, um, I think it was a, a 20 to one return on all the money that they invested in vaccines. And Bill Gates has been quoted uh, in one of his Ted talks as saying, if we do a really good job with vaccines, we can reduce the population of this planet by 10 or 15 percent because he thinks there's too many people on the planet. Now, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm no idiot. If there's a bloke who's got billions of pounds and he's investing it in vaccines, but he also wants to reduce the amount of people there are on the planet and has openly stood up and said, if we do a really good job with vaccines, we can reduce the population of the planet by 10 or 15%. Now, me, as a critical thinker, who is, I have a very logical brain. Uh, I, I love doing logic puzzles. I've done them ever since I was a kid. Uh, and I, I find them fascinating. So logic is, is one of my strong points. Now, I take all that evidence into consideration. Uh, and then somebody says to me, right, we got a great vaccine think you should take it and i go oh, hang on a minute uh that bloke wants to reduce the population of the world uh he's the one who's got all his hands in all the vaccines um i tell you what i think i'm going to give that one a miss because i don't really trust him um and, and so that's the decision that i made based on the evidence that i saw uh, and also the if you look into uh, all the organizations that at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, if you look into all of uh, where their money goes, all the grants that they give out, uh, you would be absolutely gobsmacked at some of the organizations that they give to. Um, So just as a for instance, uh, you might wonder why none of the um, newspapers in this country or probably around the world, uh, none of them will criticize uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, none of them will question uh, what Bill Gates did with vaccines in other parts of the world um, and and then you go and look on their website to see where their money that they've given it to uh, and and they give uh, hundreds of millions of pounds to media organizations Now obviously, if you're receiving money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as a media organization, are you really going to criticize? Even if it's worthy, even if the criticism is worthy, are you really going to say anything? Because you're going to jeopardise the millions of pounds that you're being given by these people. Of course, you're not. So that's why you don't get told the truth uh, in the mainstream media. Uh, they've also got their their tentacles in in all of the TV companies. You know, the BBC uh, has received money from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, and you wonder why. You know, why would why would the BBC be taking money from from them? Okay. Um, so uh, all those things made me made me question everything about what was going on today. And um, I listened to a couple of people who, um, very early on, uh, they called what was going to be happening. They they had it down to a t- One of them was was Chris Sky, who I had on my live stream um, week before last uh he was the canadian freedom fighter uh who back in september of 2020 basically told you predicted what was going to be coming over the next 18 months and he was how did he know
0: yeah exactly and, and and we you know we've we've seen this before haven't we people saying what is going to happen and it has happened and we know that the plan is out there they have to say what's in the plan so when you look at it in depth there's a yeah there and there's a there's um we've always featured it on the UK column sparse pandemic 2025 to 2028 which came from the John Hopkins University which is very dark um, funded they by Bill and Melinda out. Gates
1: Foundation, the John Hopkins it, University. Also massive funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.
0: Exactly. And of course, um, I was speaking to Hedley Reese, who's got a huge um, amount of experience in the pharmaceutical and distribution um, side of the business. And Dr Ian Hudson, who used to be the CEO of the MHRA, is now working with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, we have the chief scientist from Microsoft on the board of the Bill and, uh, of the MHRA. Um, and we've also got a Raj Long, who is not qualified as a doctor in any way, uh, un- as well as Bill Gates. He's not qualified in anything either, um, apart from the fact that he's been given a knighthood by the queen. But clearly, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are embedded in pretty much everything, including our universities, um, so our academics coming up through the through the ranks, they're all funded as well. So of course, you're never going to to criticise that because Bill and Melinda Gates seem to have their fingers in every single pie.
1: Do you know what? Do you know what amazes me about the um, uh, about the knighthoods? Uh, um, now, if I was if I was offered a knighthood. I'd probably have a look at the people who had been knighted before me, and I'm not sure I'd want to be on the same list as Jimmy Savile, uh, Rolf Harris, uh, Tony Blair. I mean, these people have been knighted. Chris Whitty. Uh, was it Chris or Patrick Vallance? One well, I can't remember which one, but.
0: Patrick (laughs) Valance, who is, by the way, just about to resign. Yes, he's just about to resign, by the way, just in case you hadn't heard.
1: Now, I'm not being funny. If somebody offered me a knighthood and I looked at that list and I went, hmm, yeah, do you know what? Looking at those lists of people that have had knighthoods, I don't really want to be associated with them. I think I'll give that a miss. Thank you very much. Not that I would ever be offered a (laughs) knighthood.
0: I tell you what, you make a really valid point there, Matt, because not only have you just mentioned. Tony Blair and, and all of the others. But let's bring it to, to today, and we're looking at Sakia Starmer. And um, mm-hmm. I know that you were quite surprised. I'll let, you, I'll let you say what you found out about Sakia Starmer.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, uh, he was in charge of that department when, when Jimmy Savile was, um, was let off, shall we say. Um, uh, and he'll claim that he didn't have a lot of involvement in that, but come on. Let's be honest. He was a massive uh, public figure. If he he's not doing his job properly, if he wasn't involved in some way, so that doesn't wash with me. Um, and I also found it interesting. He came from he came from nowhere really to be you know, the the leader of the Labour Party. And yet, when I first started uh, looking into Keir Starmer, I then find out that he was a a member of the Trilateral Commission, um, which is another interesting organization whose Uh, one of the other members of of the Trilateral Commission was Jeffrey Epstein. Now, what a strange coincidence um, that all these things are happening um, and all the same people are involved in all these higher echelons of society and they're not very nice people, let's be honest.
0: Who would want to associate themselves with those guys? Yeah, and, you know, a, a, a tweet... Resurfaced on Twitter just a, a few days ago of Liz Truss back in I think it was two thousand and eleven I think it was I can't remember when it was but it was referencing Jimmy Savile about how that she'd used to see him locally to her so clearly there are links everywhere and and you know let's and, and I and I know that I've had your permission to to so that you're going to reveal this to us but you know when we look at the royal family and um, King Charles as now is. Who's running this whole terra carta agenda for the uh, like to replace Magna Carta? So the planet comes first. If we look at the partners that are involved in terra carta on climate change, we can see Black Rock, we can see um we can see Coots Bank, and Bank, yeah, all of them are there, and AstraZeneca, too, a big player in that. But also Coots Bank, and I know that when we spoke previously um you have a little story to tell us about coots bank i believe matt
1: <laughs> yeah i do i i was um uh, i was a coots customer um since kind of probably the, the late 90s uh and a, and a couple of years into uh, me being a customer um coots bank uh, approached me uh, and said uh we have a um a film finance scheme that is being put together and it's uh, uh investing in the film finance industry and it and it it can be you know good for you in terms of tax relief um and, and, it, and it might save you some money and at the end of it it might might make you a few quid so they explained try to explain to me this this quite convoluted system it, it sounded to me and i didn't really a hundred percent um understand exactly how the how the mechanisms of it all worked um uh, but it was like a 15 year uh, a 15 year thing and uh, and at the end of that you know, i might might make a few quid if it does all right um and so uh about halfway through it the inland revenue then decided uh that actually this scheme is is illegal and it, it's not it's not what it said it was going to be uh, and so everybody in that uh, in that scheme was going to have to pay back all the tax relief that they've been claiming for the last 7 years um so i had to uh, pay back a, quite a, a substantial sum of money um let's say it was hundreds of thousands uh, and um coots were were not willing to uh to take any responsibility despite the fact that they were uh, advising me to to go into it Uh, and indeed um, not only that uh, they uh, a few years ago uh, had a meeting with them and they pretty much said to me we don't want you as a customer anymore can you can you leave and go to another bank Uh, and uh, and so yeah that was that was my experience of of coots bank um, known as the queen's bankers incidentally or it'll be the king's bankers now
0: wow i think that's kind of a badge of honor though actually um you know mm-hmm. that, that, that you're not that you're not with these people that we know that your moral compass is completely right and i know that's really important to you matt being able to put your head on the pillow at night um because you can sleep very well because you feel as though you're doing the right thing which i completely agree with
1: yeah i think um i've Stood up for what I believe in. Um, And I don't, if somebody said to me, you know, would you change anything that you've done over the last few years? Um, I I mean, there's probably a couple of things that I've, I put on social media that I could have thought about a little bit better. Um, It was a a little bit reactionary. Um, But, you know, apart from that, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the stance that I've taken. Uh, and if that meant that me losing my, that was me losing my job again, then so be it. Um, I don't have a problem with that given that, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the corporation that, that Sky have become, uh, means I'm actually quite relieved, uh, that I'm no longer working for them.
0: Let me just ask you about, I mean, I used to be a golf widow, so I know what it's like with, um, at the 19th hole. And I know that you're a keen golfer. How have your friends been with you? I mean, some of your friends obviously have taken the jab, followed the narrative, some maybe not. What kind of reaction have you had from your friends?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's it's been an interesting one. I think that I I play with three guys regularly. and um, I think at the start of COVID, they all thought I was a bit of a... and They thought I'd gone a bit mad uh, and they thought I was a bit of a nutter. Uh, And again, I thought I was a bit of a conspiracy theorist because of stuff that I was saying. Um, uh, And it's been interesting because over the last few months, two out of the three of them have actually come to me and gone. I'm really sorry um, about what we what we said about you, uh, because uh, we now see what's happened. And actually what you were saying 18 months ago, you were pretty much spot on. Um, so they, they did come and apologize to me, um, but you know, I, I'd have uh, I'd have these debates after we'd played golf in the clubhouse, and uh, and with especially with, with one of my best mates, actually, I was best man for um, my mate, my mate Laurie. Um, uh, we'd have these really heated discussions about COVID and uh, the jabs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the good thing about it was we we could have that discussion, and we and we and we would get you know, we'd both get. Defend our, our sides, if you like. Um, but the great thing was that once once we'd kind of finished, uh, and we'd kind of got a bit angry at each other—not angry, but you know, we'd had like raised our voices in, in frustration, I guess. Um, but the great thing was at the end of that, you know, we we'd, we'd shake hands and we'd leave, and, and we go, "All right, no worries, see you tomorrow." And and that's kind of uh, something that's kind of lost in the world today. You can't. It seems like you can't have a different opinion to somebody else and still be friends with them Um, but I've managed to uh, I've managed to not really lose any friends uh, over this kind of stuff because you know I I can have an opinion someone else can have an opinion uh, and I'd like to think that we're all uh, adult enough to uh, to actually go All right, that's fair enough we've got different opinions but let's just crack on anyway we like our golf let's go and play
0: I love that I love the fact that you haven't lost any friends and I think if we could all say that, it would be a blessing. I think so many people have divided families um, and have lost friends because I, I, I know in my own family there's, there's division. Um, and some members of my family look at me as though I'm mad. I've got five children and two of them have had the injection. So, you know, everywhere I'm looking, whether it was Brexit or whether it was COVID or whether it's Ukraine, um, there's always a divided opinion. Um, and I was going to come on to that, actually, Matt, and ask you, um, you know, just your opinion on what is going on geopolitically with the whole Russia, Ukraine. Um, it's, it seems to be hotting up. Um, where do you stand on that at the moment?
1: Well, obviously, that's not an area of expertise of, of mine in terms of geopolitical stuff. Um, but uh, I found I found the timing of the invasion, um, was a, a real big coincidence. Uh, I don't know if you, if you, if you knew, um, but the day that every single restriction was lifted in this country was the same day that Russia invaded Ukraine. So I've understood very well for the last couple of years what the media's job is. And their job is to keep you in fear. Uh, because a fearful population are so much easier to control and manipulate, uh, and so the fact that we were we were just having all our freedoms returned, you know, no more masks, no more mandates, you know, all that stuff, all gone, back to normal, pretty much, uh, and on that very day, Russia invaded Ukraine, and it was it was almost like, okay, the country aren't frightened of COVID anymore what can we what can we make them frightened of um and it all happened on that day and then for the next month all you had was war in ukraine war in ukraine war in ukraine every single 24/7 just like the the covid propaganda at the start now i don't know exactly what's going on um however what i do know is that you know when two sides go to war and uh they will accuse. Uh, we will accuse. The West will accuse Russia of uh, using propaganda in their on their TV stations. You know they banned Russia today uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I I know, and I'm not stupid, uh, because in times of war, I know that both sides will use propaganda. Uh, no question about it, um, and I don't think any sane person would argue that point. Um, and so. That was kind of the point I was making um, that, okay, you know, we might not believe what's coming out of Russia uh, and stuff that you see on on Russia today. Uh, Also, let's be a little bit skeptical about what our media are telling us, because in times of war, it was very well, very well documented in World War Two that, that, you know, Churchill used um, uh, propaganda to keep the spirits of their people up. Um, and there might be some justification for that, um, but all I was saying was, don't believe everything that you hear in our media. If you don't believe everything you hear in their media, because it, it it's just common sense that that, that would be the case. Um, so I don't I don't know geopolitically what's going on, but I, I do know that uh, we're probably not being told the truth about it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure we're not being told the truth about it, but also that. You mentioned something there that kind of triggered me into asking you, with regards going back to football quickly. In that, do you think football has almost been politically weaponized In that, a bit of a bread and circuses thing, if you like, where we're using yes. or they're using trying to keep football. Tell us about that. What your thoughts are on that?
1: Yeah, my my thoughts are that um, you know, they they will try to keep uh, the population entertained with stuff uh that's not really that important while they in the background go ahead in, in trying to um take away all your freedoms, make laws that you you know, kind of get passed on a Sunday night and nobody really takes any notice of it. Um and I think that yeah, I think sports, you know, Premier League, Netflix, uh all that stuff, yeah, they they are very much used as a uh just as a distraction really, so that we don't actually question what, government, what our governments are actually doing um, to actually try and take away the, the freedoms of their own people. Um, so that was why I think the, the Premier League was so keen or the government was so keen for the Premier League to uh, get back playing again, even without any crowds in, um, because I think they probably thought that, uh, you know, we, if we haven't got anything, any live sport to watch on the television uh, and they're trying to keep us locked down, then. They probably thought that uh, there, there could be a bit of um, a bit of a mutiny on their hands if they if they they don't give us something to keep us occupied.
0: Yeah, and you know, I was shocked because I had no idea of the price of a ticket, for example, to go to a football match, or <laughs> for the price of a season ticket. And I mean, I was I was really shocked. Um, I mean, back in back in back in the day. How much was it to go to a football match? Are they trying to wipe out working people going? Because tell us the price now of how much it costs for a ticket.
1: Oh, well, I mean, the the price of a ticket will will vary from club to club, um, but it is not a cheap thing to do. Especially if you're a if you're a, a family and you you know you want to take the kids along, um, you know you're looking at, at prices that are, could be fifty pounds, could be a hundred pounds. Depending on where you sit, depending on um, you know if you choose to to perhaps have some food with that, but even if you go as a as a normal fan, um, you know with the cheapest ticket, but they'll then they'll sting you with the cost of the food and the drink in stadiums is um, cost of that is very high, uh, and it's a very expensive day out. Um, and I, I just I, I I know they've got a, a, an initiative going where the away tickets are a lot cheaper um, but i really think that with the amount of money that is in the game coming from all the tv deals you know we're talking about hundreds of millions probably billions of pounds in in revenues that they get for for the tv deals um and yet they're still trying to charge the punters who let's be honest they're the people that that make their game because um i'm telling you now football behind closed doors when it came back and there was no crowds in there, it was just the players playing, um, that wouldn't have lasted very long uh, because um, I think what you saw in that is that the atmosphere that the crowd create at football games is a massive part of why the Premier League is so successful. Um, and so um, I think they have to be very careful with not overpricing it so that they start playing in front of half-empty stadiums because uh, that would be much less attractive uh, to all the TV companies.
0: I just want to take full advantage of the fact that Sky have lost you, but UK Column have gained you. So what are your thoughts as a pundit? Because I know that a lot of our viewers will be football fans and they'll be looking forward to the World Cup in Qatar. So what are your thoughts on the England team going forward and what are your projections and predictions?
1: Um, Well, firstly, uh, I think we should start by saying that the World Cup should never be being held in Qatar. Um, I think we all know that uh, um, there was a a lot of uh, shenanigans that went on with the awarding of that that particular uh, trophy to be uh, played for over there. Um, So first and foremost, I think we have to understand that a lot of people have lost their lives um, in building the stadiums over there um the humanitarian stuff has not been not been very good uh, but that will get swept under the carpet as per usual by most of the mainstream media um on the pitch it's been a disappointing time um for the national team in, in terms of the last few results uh there was you know, obviously some excitement last night uh against Germany coming from 2-0 down to go 3-2 up and then uh throwing it away again at the end um uh, unfortunately i was on a plane back from france last night so uh, so i didn't get to see the game um but i'm uh i probably think if we get to if we get to the semi-finals of the of the world cup i think that would be a pretty good achievement um i think quarterfinals would probably be what is the least expected of the team um to be honest i think we've got some very talented players however um we we don't have a particularly sound uh, defence um, to actually build a team around, uh, and so to uh, to compensate for that, we have to almost take a little bit away uh, of the attacking ability that we've got in the squad. Um, and, uh, and so I think we're probably a little bit short in terms of having a squad capable to win the World Cup. But having said that, you know if you do get through to those. Latter stages, we've seen that we are capable uh, of getting to you know, uh, a European Championship final, um, World Cup semi-final. Uh, so um, that's not to say if the players don't all click, then then we have a chance.
0: And that was an exclusive uh, UK column view, so I'm really very grateful for that. And you know, Matt, I want to I want to end on giving you. The last word and and I, I I'm going to hand over to you to do that in a second, but before I do, I just wanted to thank you so much for being a lone wolf in such a dangerous we're, we're living in dangerous times in an unstable world, and you know quite clearly your loyalty to Southampton the way that you you you, you love fairness you you live by the, the fair the fair values in life um and you've been brave enough to stand up speak out lose your job um have awful newspaper articles written about you and we're just so grateful that you have taken um this stance and you've stood up and that you are still talking to all the football organisations all the professional players etc and so i just want to hand over to you and and thank you so much for speaking to us and i hope very much because there's so much to talk about we've only really just covered a tiny bit of it and i hope that you'll agree to come back and talk to us again but just to hand over to you what would your message be to all of your colleagues whether they be in broadcasting or whether in the game or managers or players what is your message matt
1: Um, i I think my message would would be if you know that there's something wrong if there's a, a slight doubt anywhere in your mind And you need to speak about it uh, because this is bigger than our sport. Um, It's bigger than anything else in your life. This is your future, your children's future, and your grandchildren's future. And if you don't stand up and you don't say something about it and you do not comply, that's the the one message I would have to people. If you want to try to, to stop this happening, Do not comply is the message that I would give to people. And you people with a public voice who know that there's something wrong, please show some bravery and speak out because it's so, so important to your children and to your grandchildren. So I beg of you, say something if you know something is wrong.